Hey there lovely listeners, welcome back to the show. Hope you're all doing well in whatever part of the world you are joining us from. I am your host for today, Boniface Omina, also known as the local noisemaker. Today's episode is one that we have been so so excited for you guys to hear ever since we recorded it last month. Our podcast manager Yuri Corret and I spent the last part of our summer 2022 doing an internship in Silicon Valley at the Carnegie Foundation and Stanford University. While we were there, we had the privilege of sitting down with two incredibly passionate computer science professors from the Stanford School of Education and speaking with them about their careers in teaching, the growth of technology and influence in their industry, and the fantastic work that they have been doing over the past few years in reimagining how we can design and scale sustainable education models with a very specific case study of the computer science department. Let's talk a bit about their background. Chris Peach was born in Nairobi, Kenya and moved to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia where he lived until he came to study at Stanford. He has worked with companies such as Microsoft and Pixar Animation Studios. On top of being an assistant professor at Stanford right now, he also runs a research lab where he and a team of amazing professors work on figuring out the future of artificial intelligence in education. Our other guest is called Chris Gregg. He has a computer engineering degree from John Hopkins University and a master's in education from Harvard University. The other cool thing, listen to this, he spent 20 years in the US Navy as a cryptographer and commanding officer in the US Navy Reserve. He is now a senior lecturer at Stanford University. These two gentlemen are also the best of friends with an observable chemistry between them that made this conversation so enjoyable to be a part of. If you are interested in education and teaching as a career or being a contributor in whatever way, this is the episode for you. If you are a student interested in taking computer science at Stanford or any other university in the world, you will hear some amazing stories from Chris and Chris <laughs> on how fun it is to teach their classes and how as a learner in Stanford or anywhere in the world, you can be a teacher as well. If you work in curriculum development or would like to learn about building and scaling sustainable education models, the guests speak about a project that they did during the pandemic called Code in Place, where they invited anyone from around the world to be a part of their army of volunteer teachers and teach a CS course to hundreds of students. Let me tell you guys, this episode is definitely one for the books that got me excited to become a teacher myself. Let's hop right in with Chris Gregg. Sure. Thanks for having us on your podcast. I appreciate that. Um, my name is Chris Gregg. Uh, I, uh, I've been teaching at Stanford for about six years now. I have taught for about 20 years and uh, love everything about it. I can't imagine a better job in the world. And, and I get to work with cool people like uh, the person sitting next to me, Chris Peach. Hi, um, my name is Chris Peach. Uh, in fact, I, I grew up in Nairobi, uh, but I've been at Stanford for about wow, 12 years now. Uh, and I do a lot of research and work on algorithms, but I also love teaching. And I suppose that's why Chris and I are such good friends. Uh, and among other things, I do a community service class where, which is the class in the world with the most teachers. We think possibly wow. in history. Somebody might correct us one day, but to the best okay. of our knowledge. <laughs> that is an amazing fun fact to kick this off. And um, thank, thank you for mentioning that, Ruby. I think, well, we're gonna dive right into, you know, some of uh, both of your experiences one of the interesting ways we like to kick off our podcast is just to understand 
what you guys were doing when you were our age, right? Um, <laughs> a large majority of our audience, you know, is you know people in their early twenties, college students, early professionals, and it really helps when they can relate to that aspect of your journey. Um, so I'd be curious. I think Chris Peach, you can you can take a crack at it first. What were you doing when you were twenty three years old? Which is how old I am right now. <laughs> uh, oh, that's quite interesting. So. I went from Kenya to Malaysia to the US and I had recently moved to the US when I was 23. It was quite a new experience for me. Mm -hmm. But actually when I was 23, the most interesting thing is I just finished undergraduate okay. and I knew I was going to go do a PhD and I had put $5,000 together and I told my PhD, I will see you in a year. <laughs> I'm going to see how far I can get uh -huh. with this money. Because I'd been teaching and working through my undergraduate. I'd earned a small amount. Yeah. And I was going to go just see what I could see. The big, the world was big and wide. So I intentionally decided to do nothing academic for that particular for year. That particular year. And it was great. I met my wife. Uh, I got to go back to Kenya. That's the first thing I did is I went back to Nairobi and spent a few months there. Which part of Nairobi? Oh, I went all over, but mostly just to see old friends. Okay. Uh, so I was couch surfing with all my friends from when I was a kid. Oh, that must have been fun. <laughs> it was. That must have been fun. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, Chris Greg, when Chris Peach was busy <laughs> couch surfing in Nairobi around the same time, what were you currently involved in? Yeah. Well, for me, this is this is more or less ancient history because I'm I'm uh, a lot older than Chris Peach, unfortunately for me. Yeah. Um, but. Excuse me. When I was in my, when I was in my early twenties, I was actually in the U.S. Navy uh, as a cryptologist, uh, cryptographer, cryptologist. Uh, mm. Basically, I was on a bunch of ships traveling around the world and uh, doing uh, managing people and so forth. I think the the interesting transition point was a couple of years later when I was getting mm. out of the Navy. I had to make a big decision about what am I going to do with my life because I, I think I'm putting the Navy part at least the active duty part behind yeah. me and uh and that's when i decided to uh to take up the the teaching but uh but that's what i was doing back then um and uh it, it, again it seems like a long time ago as it was <laughs> yeah that's incredible and i think one of the most interesting things about just the fact that we're sitting here now is education transition has really evolved right over the past couple of years especially just me being in college now at the time when both of you were sort of going through all these transitions what are some of the key aspects in that transition's history, like over the past two decades, if you were to look at how, how that aspect has evolved? Like, is it is it as easy now to transition, as you're saying, um, Chris, from, from the Navy into teaching professionally? Or are there, is there something different that the education system is looking for, not just the teachers themselves, but the students? Sure. I can comment on that, and I'll, I'll let Chris comment, too. Um, a lot has changed in the last 20 years yeah. uh, in terms of, I mean, let's put it this way. When I first stepped in a classroom, technology was me writing on a board and the student taking notes mm -hmm. on paper. Mm -hmm. And these days, I mean, if we don't have a projector in the room, things go crazy sometimes, you know? So, True. and then students all have their laptops or their phones. They expect all the assignments to be on the, the web. There was no, I didn't have, I guess I barely had a website when I, when I mm -hmm. first, you know, 20 years ago when I was starting out. Uh, so I think those things have changed. Um, Technology, just in general, has 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 entered the classroom. Yeah, you know, very uh, completely in this case. In that sense, I think there's some other things that have changed with the students too. And uh, I think students are facing a lot of issues these days that they weren't that, that they might not have come to light 
in terms of mental health and yeah. other, tra- other challenging things that I didn't see when I was first starting out that now I'm seeing um, that, are, that are, uh, are, are challenging for us to deal with as teachers, but also for the students just to make their way through classes. Yeah, that's incredible, Chris, um, Chris Beach. Okay, yeah, I think a lot has changed. Um, my, it, so what Chris talked about was the changes from the student side. Maybe I can talk about what happened to the yeah. industry. Um, when I was 23, everything was much smaller, which meant there was fewer jobs, fewer opportunities, and fewer people looking for those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it feels like things are much bigger. And I feel like the scale of the industry has had its positives. It means that people have choices. If you care about technology, but you also care about music, there's a huge world for you to, for you to combine things. that. And yeah, but it also comes with this paradox of choice where having more choices can be overwhelming. So I feel like for young students navigating this much bigger world of technology has been harder. It's like the analogy of Starbucks when you go to order a coffee. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I go through that all the time where I think every, every time I've, I come back in the United States and go to Starbucks, something the five new things on the menu or 10 new things on the menu. <laughs> That's a very interesting point that you just raised. And I think it's going a bit deeper into that. A lot of this, these transitions are caused by like what's happening in the global economy. I think we saw a lot of this when, when the pandemic hits. Mm-hmm. I love Chris Peach for you just to highlight a bit about the work that you did with Coding Place because you know, from my understanding, the goal was to train over 20,000 people how to code. Yeah. But you, you surpassed that goal. And I, I think I'd just like to to learn a bit more about that and what was the thought process behind it? What triggered that that from you? And how did you sort of just connect that with what Chris Craig mentioned of uh, yeah. not just catering for the, the teacher's side, but the students as well and integrating that technology? Yeah, so when the pandemic started, uh, a few things were in the air. One, you know, is a, a real challenge for people in every sort of way, not just yeah. disease, but also loneliness, isolation. There's all these things going on in our students' lives, but in the world abroad. Mm-hmm. And then also, as we touched on, technology had been changing so fast, and it's kind of our job to pay attention to technology and education. Yeah. So between these two things, when the pandemic hit, actually, we have a wonderful group of teachers here. Uh, Chris Gregg and I are part of this, like, we just love education as well as computer Brilliant. science. And we were talking, and, and one of our colleagues said, what can we do for the world? You know, we're not doctors. This is a tough time. Mm-hmm. And then said, can we get some of this content out for free? And I had always had this idea that the most special thing out of Stanford wasn't our content. The most special thing from Stanford education, you know, maybe wasn't even our prestige. I think one of the most Mm. special things was this beautiful idea of when When you you learn learn, a few few terms later, we ask you to come come back back and teach. And it's not that that makes, it it makes the learning experience very high touch. So you have lots and lots of humans involved in learning. So if you go take computer science at Stanford, you can have a one-on-one conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. most hours Mm -hmm. of the day. But the special thing is what happens to those teachers. Like if we invite you as a sophomore or second year student to own teaching a Stanford group of 10 students, you change how you see yourself. And it's the most special idea that I've seen here. And so the, the big question was at the pandemic, can we use this moment and can we not just get our content for people, but get that beautiful, special idea out there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the most 
uplifting vibe I've ever seen in the classroom. So we said, hey, yeah. who wants to come teach with us? Thousands of people came and said, like, yes, I will teach 10 students. I would love to spend some of my pandemic teaching right, 10 students. Right. And we're like, great, we'll teach you how to teach if you've never taught before. Hey, are you a coder? Come, we'll teach you how to teach. So I didn't necessarily have yeah. to have, like, background oh, experience with the teaching. Most people didn't. If you're a university student, we had a ton of university students from, like, Indonesia, Germany, you know, South Africa, all over. And they just all came together. And then we said, hey, who wants to learn computer science? We have a thousand mm. awesome, passionate people who want to teach. Yeah. And then the students, we gave it for free because the, everyone was coming together for this beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. And it was a party. There's people baking cookies. Some people got married. Uh, hundreds of people found jobs, which is yeah. insane because we only taught the first course. Uh, but, you know, we teach it really rigorously. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good vibe. A point that you just mentioned of the fact that you know, bringing people on board to teach, what that really does for a person, what mm. that changes in someone. I'd relate it to cross-career-wise with just being being a servant right like the servant leadership aspect that comes from from being a teacher and just tying that to your work as a commanding officer um chris greg what are some of the aspects that you feel like you needed to learn or unlearn or relearn when you're making this career shift and is is this act of service just where, where it comes from in us as human beings does it come, come from the same exact place sure boy what are the big things i had to learn or relearn i mean there's a big difference between being in the military and teaching students who are in high school or mm. in college mm. who uh in the military you kind of have to follow the rules and there's 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 yeah there's issues if you don't that's a, that's probably one of the things that uh you know student when you're teaching you're you really need to engage the student. And that's the, that's the, the biggest part about it. And, you know, to Chris's point about, uh, about the people, I, I completely agree that the people is a, is a, is a huge part of that and why code and play, one of the reasons code and place did so well. Uh, but the other part that Chris is downplaying, which he shouldn't be, is the fact that there is, there's somebody at the top who's doing amazing teaching and the curriculum is so engaging. Right. And so, and, you know, students come in to code in place and they may never have coded one line of written one line of code in their lives. And the next thing they know, they're seeing real results mm -hmm. and they're saying, look what I did. And that's so different than many other, many other types of, uh, of fields. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually working with a company, with a company now called Kira learning that is trying to get really good curriculum out to the world in a way that is uh, so people who might not know the material as well have really good curriculum to work with. And, and then, then we can pair great teachers with amazing curriculum mm -hmm. and uh, and try to uh, to go that way so that so because so many people want to learn computer science these days. I mean, it's yeah. it's huge. If you look at the number of computer science related YouTube pay, YouTube channels yeah, or, about to say. Uh, or or just you know the other kinds of, of of curriculum out there so many people want it and in a classroom setting they need they need a a, a structured really engaging curriculum which is mm -hmm. uh, which is the kind of thing that code in place absolutely did they took this amazing CS 106a curriculum that Stanford has and then Chris said let's scale this up and it, it was uh, yeah. it worked out great. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think the people part is super important, but the curriculum part is is almost just as important to make it so that students really want to learn. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to add something quickly that if any of your viewers want to be students or if any of your viewers want to be section leaders, we'll do this every year for the next three years there uh, go. in March. So Did y'all hear that? That's an opportunity right yeah, there. Yeah, come teach. If you've never taught before, hey, you should you could learn the skills that Chris Craig has 
uh, has yeah. uh, for compassion. And if you've never coded before, you can learn how to make stuff. There we go. That's a challenge to all of your listeners. If you guys are interested in this opportunity, we will be sharing a lot more information on this very soon. Is it difficult to put context into place in terms of like, would this, would it have been as easy for you to rally people mm. behind this initiative if, if it was per se from a different university or in a different country? Reason I ask that is because, you know, just mm. thinking back to the perception that people have about teaching as a career back home where I'm from, mm. it's not necessarily top of the list for most people, right? Because, you know, people do tie a lot of their career interests to what has been quote-unquote romanticized out there uh-huh. right in all of these fields yes could be in in the technology space but a lot more flashy right yeah. and so with some of the work that that you do I remember a quick speech when we did first interacting class it was you know around the conversations on artificial intelligence right uh-huh. so I think I'm just trying to put into context like what what are some of the factors that would play into changing this narrative that's that's mm. built up about teaching and how can we just get more people to be as excited, as proactive in integrating different aspects of technology in their in their work as a teacher. You mentioned Stanford, like, hey, would this have worked if we weren't at Stanford? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that we do leverage a pretty impressive brand. People know Stanford. So mm. I was going to use that brand to get people to try teaching. And then the idea was once people tried, they would be hooked. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I feel like half it was 40% of people who did it the first year came back and taught the second year because they're like, that was so fun. I want to do it again. Teaching is a joy. It's like, think about what's the most, learning is one of the most fun things you can do. You mm-hmm. grow as a person, you have that deep sense of satisfaction. Teaching is like the next level. Yeah. You get yes. to get see, see your, your ideas, ideas in someone, someone else. else. Oh, oh my God, God. it's just yeah. the most, most exciting thing I've, I've ever participated, participated. I think that give people the resources to be a great teacher. Give people the freedom, like Chris said, to express themselves and Mm -hmm. to see their own voice in their teaching. And it's like that pure human passing of knowledge from one person to another. It's one of the best things. So just give people that. Yeah. What would you say are the most fun classes in terms of the interaction that you guys have with the students? Right. Oh, Um, there's, I'd love to hear that from you, Chris. uh, There's a lot of classes that are, that are so much fun. I mean, Teaching the introductory classes are incredible because students go from zero to 100 miles an hour mm. in, you know, in so little amount of time. And they're so uh, excited, excited about, about how much they learn. That's, that's the, the mm. that's the uh, that's the big thing. Um, you know, to your question about how do we get more people involved in teaching? Yeah. That's a really difficult question. I think it involves paying teachers more. It involves Ooh, making it more. Uh, it means making it more uh, well uh, how should I put it? Where people people look up to teachers, I think that needs to be thing. But you know, here's the biggest thing. I always, when I'm teaching a class on teaching teachers, uh, <laughs> the first thing I have them do is is write down, tell me about your favorite teacher. And mm-hmm. every person has a teacher that meant something to them. And if they don't, wow. I, hopefully someday they will. But <laughs> virtually everyone has a teacher where they say this teacher changed my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chris says uh, the joy of teaching is, is, uh, uh, is, is part, of part of it. I think, I think that's, that's the most, the most important. important. That's, that's the biggest, biggest part for me is seeing the changes in my students mm-hmm. and knowing that I might've had a little tiny part in that is yeah. uh, so rewarding. And, and again, that's, that's what I think, you know, let making people realize, Hey, hey you, you know, know what? what? 
that teacher that meant so much to you, you can be that teacher someday. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that can, uh, that can drive more people into teaching. But, but we do have to pay them more, and we do have to make it more, uh, That's very more worthwhile in general. Teaching is hard. That's the other thing. I mean, teaching, you know, we're glossing over the fact that teaching is challenging and very difficult. And, you know. Are there enough support structures within not just institutions, but within the teaching communities that are there? Mm-hmm. Um, because back home in Kenya, with the, uh, the point you just raised of paying teachers enough, while we were in high school, teachers striked like twice. Right? Sure they and, did, yeah. And in their unions, you know, they do come together pretty well. The nurses as well, and just across different industries, what's not being done right mm. to support these teachers, not just amongst the institutions, but amongst themselves as well. Are teachers rallying behind each other, you know, to speak about the different challenges that they face in co-create solutions? I should be careful to speak. My yeah. parents were teachers in Kenya, so uh, I, I would certainly love to hear what they think about it. Mm. But uh, I think paying people more is a political question more than anything else. So, and that's, I just think a lot of times we can do our politics better. It's so yeah. valuable, it's such a great national resource. But if people could just recognize that, I think that would be the simpler solution. Mm. Maybe one thing, though, I could add to this and be a little constructive is. There's two things that make me love my job. Being paid enough to live a life is really important. Yeah. And one of the things that's very special about Stanford is the freedom they give to teachers. And not all places are like this. Sometimes people see teachers as cogs in a machine. They say, mm. you must do exactly mm. what we tell you to teach exactly this curriculum. Don't, Don't be, creative. be creative. And, and that, that makes, makes the job, job much less interesting. interesting. And, and so by giving teachers freedom to, to, to express, express themselves, themselves. Uh, you make the job more interesting. We even do that for our section leaders. You're a first-time mm. teacher in Stanford as well as Code in Place. If you're a first-time teacher teaching a group of 10, what do you bring to the table? What's your voice? Uh, don't just feel like you have to fill in a script. Yeah. Go be creative. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for, for mentioning that. There's an aspect that I can just draw parallels from in both stories. Before stepping into teaching or even with the journey of teaching, there's been a lot of cultural exposure to that with the traveling, with stepping into different places. And I've been super curious, do you guys ever see aspects of that translate in the classroom where you have a student, for instance, who's from a country that you're very familiar with, originally very familiar with, and that sort of helps elevate the level at which you're able to um, impart knowledge and, and do this instruction? And how fundamental is that aspect when it comes to not just teachers, but you know, people in, in the career space exposing themselves as much as they can to different cultures, to different societies, and what that does for the career trajectory and what you deliver? That's a, that's, a, that's a great question. I think bringing more, the more different ideas that we have in the classroom, mm. the better. And that's that's one way to get more ideas. Um, it's a little, it's sometimes it's a little difficult in a, when we're teaching a technical class to include a lot of that. But honestly, yeah. the first time Chris and I talked together, um, we had in a, we had a, a, uh, an assignment where a, a section leader actually brought, I'm not sure you remember this, a section leader brought up the idea that we were using some examples of writing that they had mm. to translate for this assignment. Mm. And the section leader said, that is not a very diverse set of writing examples that you're oh, giving. Oh, really? And, uh, and, and we, we said, said, you're absolutely right. We, had, we, we, we completely glossed over that. And so we said, how about this? Let's ask the section leaders for examples of other 
bits of writing that we can use. And then we included that. But you know what? Without that voice, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have thought of that. So having yeah. that section leader from a different culture, from a different perspective come in, made us change our, our, our assignment for the better. And so yeah. things like that are super Chris, important. Craig is so yeah. right. Like we teach 500, 10,000 students. It does matter if I talk to somebody from Kenya and yeah. we can have that connection or Malaysia, but Unfortunately, we don't get to talk to every student one-on-one -on -one when we're at that scale. Yeah. But the section leaders bring that voice. You know, if you have a thousand people from every walk of life and every student has somebody they can relate to uh, and they get that like on the ground knowledge, like mm -hmm. what does it mean to be learning right now? They know because they just learned. Uh, and we have a thousand voices, a thousand stories. It means the students, more than just having somebody can, you know, like laugh about good food or yeah. music, they have something more from the section leaders. They have that and they have a vision of their next step. Hey, you're from the same part of the world as me. You have the same background as me and you've made it to the next level. I can see myself being you. I don't think that many people look at me and think I can see myself doing exactly your path. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but uh, with the section leaders, they do in a better way. So they're a secret ingredient, really. I want to double tap on an aspect of that co-creating diverse teams right mm -hmm. and i can see an aspect of that with with the work that sort of we're involved in as entrepreneurs and even with the program that we've been doing here in carnegie there has been a big emphasis on that right mm -hmm. of making sure you get the right mix of, of talent skill but more importantly people who care enough to go that extra step right with the work that you've both been involved in what are some of the highlights of building this type of team right so what do you look for in some of these sector leaders that would would inform your decision from them um from their standpoint and you know for people who would want to plug into that aspect of things what would be something um, important for them to note yeah <laughs> That's a good question. You know, i mean we having a world classroom was the most fun thing i've ever done just all these mm -hmm. different voices like hey you know it's a special holiday in india let me share that with everybody and just even when it's not for content, it just makes it feel like a family, like, oh, I'm learning something mm -hmm. about the world. That's special. What do I look for, though? I think the thing I really look for in this diverse community is empathy for the other. We live in such a weird time where I feel like yeah. we don't, compared to last year or the year before, I think we're all kind of looking inwards a little bit more as a globe. And I would like to go back to the time where we're thinking about others and we feel part of a bigger community. We can help each other out. We're yeah. all in this uh, and we're working together. So I like I look for people who who can bring that sort of outreach. I, I'm, I can be empathetic to people from different parts of the world. Yeah. Empathy is also the hardest one to teach. A lot of people have the computer science basis, but empathy means that I think you can become a section leader. I think that you'll become a leader. I think you can learn to speak and it's just the number one number one skill. I completely agree with that. I think the, the empathy part is, is huge. You know, I mentioned that teaching is hard, but guess what? Learning is hard too. And learning computer science in particular is, is very challenging and very frustrating for a lot of students. And mm -hmm. being able to talk to an instructor or a section leader and say, my code is not working and I'm so frustrated. And the section leader saying, Let's step back and, and and take it one step at a time and, and look at it and yeah. have that. I understand your frustration, not say, no, you need to do it this way and this way. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah. you're mm -hmm. right. This is hard and yeah. this is challenging. And this is, and, and having that empathy is, is super important. Yeah. I mean, again, and it goes back to my comment about students facing other mental health challenges yeah. and so yeah. forth. But, uh, but I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Are these side conversations, things that we're having more, you feel like we're having 
more conversations about now in terms of mental health and wellness and how can we tailor curriculums and tailor these mm. programs like you mentioned code in place that factors that in right mm. and would co co-creation with the students be an element of that that's important yeah i think so i I, th I absolutely think so i mean in the end of the day we want students to be able to do something yeah. at the end of the day and getting to that point there are so many barriers in the way that could be mental health it could yeah. be just you know not necessarily being as well prepared as they could be and so forth and our job as teachers is to get them over those barriers mm -hmm. uh, and and that does take it, it takes a special you know, idea of how to do that. And it's different for a lot. It's different for every student. Yeah. What their barriers are is very different where they come from, where they're, you know, how, what, how prepared they are, et cetera. Uh, but I, I, I do think that, that, you know, the piece of you need to look at each student individually when you're talking to them. Yeah. And, and that's how very hard to do in a class of 500 mm -hmm. or 10,000, 10, but that's why code in place says we want to have a one to 10 ratio of, of student yeah. to teacher, because then you can get that that uh, that one-to-one -one aspect i mean thank you Chris. yeah certainly touched on a lot of interesting points there uh and the co-creation is the one that really sticks in my yeah. mind because right? it seems so appealing so i just want before i jump into that the plus what Chris yeah. Craig said yes the conversation is elevated we are talking a lot more about it than we ever did before the pandemic brought a lot of challenges but also was an opportunity for us to cut some of the can I spend this podcast? Yes, you Because, <laughs> you know, there was all, all this craft in our world that we weren't talking about. And the the pandemic, pandemic for some of us, gave us an opportunity mm -hmm. to think, like, what really matters here? Uh, elevated conversation. It meant when we started coding in place, a lot of people were like, let's get this accredited. Let's keep get people, like, credentials. Yeah. And we pushed back. And we said, the valuable thing here is the skill. Doesn't matter if you're credentialed to do an intro class. It's yeah. an intro class. But if you know how to program, that will last for your whole life true so we intentionally made this choice we're not going to give official credit we're just going to give you an, a, the best skill possible you're our apprentice we're going to make you awesome mm -hmm. and that's what is going to be your your resume and that came from this empathy of like people can we turn down the pressure maybe it's the credential yeah can matter but but let's focus on what we thought mattered but then you also mentioned co-creation and that's just such a fascinating thing. And why is this so fascinating? We can look at education. We can think this is a fire moment. This is so exciting. Mm -hmm. There's the technology has brought opportunities for your generation that make it, you know, hair raisingly interesting. We can rethink what education could look like. And we are yeah. lots of it, not just me. It's a big global conversation. Hey, ALU is a big voice in that global Very conversation. Big. They are doing some fascinating things. So this moment in time has great challenges, but this amazing opportunities. And the people who know the answers to those amazing opportunities, maybe it's passionate teachers like Chris Craig is amazing. Like uh -huh. passionate teacher. I have gotten to know this man for like six years now. Oh my There's God. A very Big obvious heart, chemistry. Super yeah. smart. Like, hey, if we could all be like Chris Craig, what a wonderful world. Um, and then and then also maybe the next great idea comes from Kuala Lumpur. Maybe the next mm. great idea comes from somewhere in South Africa. We talk about section leaders and how they have that empathy. They, they yeah. can see what it's like to be a student. They just learned. Maybe by having been a student during the pandemic, you know something that the teachers don't know yes, about yeah. a vision for the future. So do, we need co-creation because the great ideas live there. 
how to do co-creation is super hard though, right? You have, let's say you've got Chris Gray, he's had decades of experience. Yeah. He's done so many things, seen so many angles. You have somebody who's young, they have these great ideas. How do you bring these two voices mm. together? We know it would be amazingly magical once we get the right combination. Yeah. But I'd say I haven't yet figured out how to bring the voices together. But we're working on it every day. Every day we try. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I think, anything, I think it's, yeah. yeah, I think, and thank you, Chris. And Chris always underestimates his own te- I mean, incredible <laughs> teaching. He's such a teacher. I know, such a teacher. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think the the co-creation is, is, is super important, especially, especially as people like me get farther into our careers, we for, we tend to forget what it, what it means to be a student mm. in a lot. And I try not to, and I try <laughs> to rethink that all the time, but I'm not a hundred percent up on what's, what's the current thing either these days. And I learned that from my students and, and, and yeah. if they're bringing new ideas and, Hey, let's do this because it's going to be engaging with the students. Cause that's what they're thinking about now. I might not know that, you know, but yeah. without them, without them talk, talking to me about that, I can only watch TikTok so many, you know, so many TikToks <laughs> so many. <laughs> right, right, you know, to, to learn about what's cool these days. But the, the, but the new, uh, the new, uh, you know, the, the students who are who are actually in it now are the ones who who know what mm. is going to be engaging to their classmates, and and that and that's again why we having young students who just took the class recently yeah. teaching it means they're going to bring all those things into it. Yeah. Can we just talk about this? More? Yes, you can. Let's, let's know let's your guys' opinion. But yeah. okay, so, so here's one thing that we've figured out. We've talked about this great idea. We love it so much, the section leading. Yeah. And we love it because it kind of democratizes that process of teaching. Hey, are you young? Do you have a cool way of teaching mm-hmm. this concept? Welcome. Do it your way. What we're missing is the democratization of maybe some of the content, how how to teach. And maybe that's the trickier issue. We, you know, maybe it's like the the structure of the classroom could change mm-hmm. if you gave students a voice. That's the problem. I don't. I think there's a lot of opportunity that we haven't addressed yet. Yeah. So if you're a listener and you're looking for a cool problem to solve, we can democratize how to teach, but you know, like the particular content. Teach this concept now. Go. Yeah. Lots of voices there. It's the structure of the university, the structure of high school. Mm-hmm. How do we get young voices, diverse voices? You know, yeah, just, just people who have recently learned voices, voices into that. Into I that. No, but. Maybe your viewers know. Yeah, that's, <laughs> maybe you know. Do you know? We'll put that out there. I mean, uh, one thing that you did mention last time is no matter how how much technology does influence the sector, you cannot remove the role of a human being in the in the entire process. No, I, think, I don't think you can. I don't think you'll ever be able to. Yeah, I think uh, we see that with with the Khan academies and all these online resources. There's still an, an element of how does this connect to someone real, yeah. right? And whether you're in tech, whether you're in you're in a, a customer facing industry, right? You we still live in a world of people, right? Mm. And people people have people influence people. I think that's one of the the things that you can never never really remove from from the equation. And if you come back to the first principles of mm. teaching and education itself, it's you know a, a learner and you know someone who's there to walk with them on this journey, and that's really what all of us are looking for when it comes to this, even with the peer learning models that ALU is doing um, and has, has really been doing for, for a number of years, it's still person to person, right? And someone to walk with them. I think that's one of the, the interesting aspects of it. Interesting you bring up Khan Academy because they're here, they're in California. Yeah. And so we get to talk to them often. Uh, and so I know some of the things they're working on, 
So Khan Academy, they have this big platform, they have this great, what do they want to do next? Mm-hmm. Well, they've started schoolhouse.world uh, since the pandemic. I think actually it was in conversation with Code in Place. One of the coolest things that came out of Code in yeah. Place might be some nice conversations with schoolhouse.world. So Khan Academy in schoolhouse.world, they're welcoming people from around the world to go teach this content. So you can imagine wow. Khan Academy, who's like the expert on scale, the best YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. It, they see humans as their next step. There you go. So I think that we just answered it. it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. You, obviously, we're strongly in that camp, <laughs> and there's lots of good perspectives. Yeah. I mean, maybe AI will become so smart, but do we even want AI? Like, let's, AI. Oh, AI is going to become smart. It's going to become fine at giving feedback, fine at doing all these things. Imagine I could hand you a super smart teacher, AI teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure it's going to be that much more beautiful world. I would, if you handed me a super smart teacher's assistant that can make any teacher just shine and understand uh-huh. their students. I'll take that. But I'm not sure I want a super smart teacher. Chris, Greg, would you want a super smart teacher? <laughs> <laughs> super smart teacher AI? I don't think so. I mean, that said, the scaling part is yeah. going to be, is, is the part of it that, that, that this makes sense. Having, I, I haven't heard you say that before, Chris, where you said a super smart like TA or a super <laughs> smart uh, assistant, rather. Um, that's, that's a very interesting idea. Sorry, the great irony is I spend my research making super smart AI. Right. What did right. you find out? I'll let Chris finish his point. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> my point was, well, what I was going to say is I think that I think getting more people who are into the classroom is going to be super important. My big idea these days is, you know, at a lot of the, our universities, we graduate people who have spent a few years teaching students and then they mm. go off and work at their tech job and they never get back in the classroom. My idea is why aren't we letting them go teach somewhere very part-time, yeah. let's say, and, and do it because lots of them will be like, I love, that was one of the things I loved about when I was yeah. in college. Now I can't do that anymore. Why aren't we creating the, the avenue for them to yeah. be back in the classroom? As an I like that. One story that would bring to, right? The will yeah. tell the students, you know, what's really going yeah. on in the world. <laughs> I mean, I think companies should, should, should put funding towards this. Um, yeah. You can take so many hours I a week. Like what off I'm and yeah. go into the classroom and some stu- some places do do yeah. this now but i want it i want it to be bigger and and have everybody who wants to do that have the ability to uh, do it and, um that's my kind of my my long-term vision if we could we could make something like that happen it would be great that's an amazing uh, amazing thing to put out there um chris what's your comment on just ai itself AI is not going anywhere. This. We're we're it's it will it will get better. It will be more a part of our lives, and uh, and it's it's super exciting. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's incredible. Yeah. I, my my big thing is I love self the self driving car idea. The day that I can get in my car at my house yeah. and and read my book or grade some assignments or work on the next great you know lecture mm-hmm. that that'll be the while my car drives me to work. That's going to be a great day. Not we're not there yet, but. I think it's, I think AI we're getting better. Now, not, not to mention, mention, we could probably spend hours talking to Chris about uh, how AI, AI is affecting medicine and affecting, mm. you know, all the different things that, that people are, are, you know, need extra, you know, that people can't necessarily do. Uh, so I think AI is incredible. I think we have to be, uh, we have to be, we have to be leery of thinking it's going to replace people. Yeah. But assisting people. Yes. It's going to complement the yeah, work that people absolutely. do, but not necessarily replace them so my, in my i run a research lab and, and actually i run this lab that has six professors from the school of education and our goal is to figure out the future of ai in education mm-hmm. and we have all these tools at our disposal that we built and i can tell you about some of them 
One of them is an AI tutor. Talk to it, it gives you feedback. Um, you know, it can do a little bit of instruction. Another tool we have is it will do grading. Uh, okay. So like if you have an assignment, it can just say like, okay, here's the concepts you're missing. Not mm -hmm. great for points, but really great for feedback. And the third one is teacher, uh, teacher support. So you just taught a class, did it go well? The AI yeah. can give you feedback, be like, hey, at this point you build on what the students said. At this point you kind of miss what the students are saying. Actually, your students are working on concept A and you spoke most about concept B. Out of those three, so we have all these tools. Yeah. It's the teacher support that had the biggest impact on students. Wow. Right. Because uh, you know, we, we did this experiment. Oh, students. Place. So in code and place, yeah. we gave feedback to teachers. And then you saw the students in their classroom like loved the class more, they did better, more than completed. Mm -hmm the the tool for grading everyone just loves because grading is such a pain oh my god if i it's a quick yeah if quick I solution to that if i could spend my time like getting to know my students actually spending time helping them learn yeah. and, and less time reading their assignments fantastic but the one which has not gotten any traction is the 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 ai tutor the AI tutor um I, you know maybe that's just because the technology is not there but uh, you know maybe that my experience i can question, share yeah i can share it and be like Wow, maybe the really interesting questions are how to support humans, as opposed to like Chris Briggs said, instead of how to replace humans. Gentlemen, this has been amazing. Uh, we can go on and on about AI and teaching and uh, you guys' experience. And this is the first time we're having you and definitely not the last. We would love to to walk with you on this journey, You know, not just on listeners, but on the podcast um, as well, with a lot of the work that we can that we can put, uh, put out there and just this message that we can uh, we can keep championing as we wrap up we have this really short um segment called the elevator the elevator segment and so picture yourself walking out of this room today <laughs> and this is the first time we've actually sat with guests in a boardroom type of setup so picture yourself walking out and before you get to the end of the um, <laughs> hallway down to the elevator a budding intern stops you and has some quick fire questions for you guys to answer are you guys ready for this uh, well, I, well, we'll see. <laughs> yes, ready. ready. Right, let's go. Um, so the first question, we're going to get really deep for a minute. Uh, <laughs> um, what is one thing that you both don't compromise on when it comes to your work? Oh, that's such a good question. What, what don't I compromise on? I would say making sure that that I, I really am doing the best for the students every single day. That's mm -hmm. what I'm trying. I try not to compromise on. It doesn't always work. I mean, I will be 100% honest with yeah. you. It doesn't always work, but I, I try not to compromise. On. I love that. Chris Peach? I would say what Chris Greg said, so I'll try different assignments. Uh, mm -hmm. So we teach. We talked a lot about how to, how to teach, but the work students do is what really matters. Can you build? It's art. Making a great assignment is artwork. And yeah. I put so much love and attention to the little details of you're going to spend 15 hours on this. I'm going to make it a joy and you're going to yeah. spend one hour listening to me. So if I could prioritize, I would make sure that the work you do is the joy. Gotcha. Brilliant answers, guys. Um, next question. If you if you take a year off from, from September, September, right? <laughs> All semester, students are not seeing you, right? spend it in one part of the world doing something completely different what would you guys do catch me in diani beach <laughs> <laughs> and i'd be working on i'm pretty good at cooking with garlic skumawiki but maybe i'd learn how to start a small restaurant a little there fusion, we go. malaysian kenyan thing I, don't know. <laughs> I love that and then maybe i have some good conversations with people about the different worlds i've lived in gotcha 
Yeah, I, I boy, good question. I think I would. I love to tinker, and I haven't had enough time to tinker. And I've got, okay. I've got both Chris and I have young young daughters actually. Yeah. Um, spending time with my my daughter, showing her what I think is cool about the world would be so much fun. Regardless of where in the world we were doing that, I think that would be that would be being able to focus on that would be an incredible time. Yeah. yeah. Got that. Last one, guys. Um, next question. What's one habit that you picked up over the course of the pandemic that really helped you helped you make it through? Oh, time management, probably. I mean, being able to say, look, I have I've you know, I've I've got all these things that need to get done. And it seemed mm-hmm. like my my pile of tasks for some reason got bigger when I was sitting at home, you know, not, <laughs> not leaving, but it seemed like it got bigger. Uh, I think time management was probably the biggest thing that I learned a little bit more. Mm. I know that's not sexy to say that, but it's that's kind of it's very true. It's it's very real. Yeah. I was pretty unaccustomed to online meetings, teaching. And in fact, I, I love I love the in-person thing. You can mm-hmm. tell from I think yeah. this interview. Uh and I I learned the value of online and what's possible. And I learned that there can be ways that we can create connections even if we're not in the same room. Brilliant. Gotcha. Last two. Um Hmm. I have to make this a good one. What's one thing you, <clears throat> over the course of not just the pandemic or the past couple of years, but you can say with the work that you've done and the life that you've lived, what's one thing that you'd advise people to just learn, learn to say no to a bit more often? Uh-huh. <laughs> learn to say no to. I think there's a lot. You do have to say no sometimes when you've only got so many hours in the day. Um, so time, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, boy, what would I, what would, what would I want to say no to? I don't think you can, I can generalize it. Chris might uh, maybe this is an answer to the question, but it's a cool way I've heard that question phrased, or uh, uh, I would give you this, this attitude. Yeah. When you're saying no to something, you're in fact saying yes to something else. It sucks to yeah. say no, but when you're saying no, you're actually saying yes to a future, mm. a future opportunity that you'll have time for. Uh, and I think that's really important that you can, say yes to those things that really yeah. pull your heart uh, it doesn't answer your question i think for everyone but it different. speaks to something very but do yeah. say no because by saying no you're saying yes and then focusing on the the work that brings you joy hopefully that you can get paid for yeah i think that and i think the saying yes to or saying no so that you can do things that are maybe not directly related like for instance saying no to something because you want to spend more time with your family mm-hmm. or your friends mm-hmm. or your you know mm-hmm. or, or taking time for yourself you know that's something that's important so and back to the time that we're saying just mm-hmm. spending yeah. that time doing something else i've i've learned a lot about the value of service though in the pandemic and mm-hmm. one of the things i think a lot of people rightfully so had to just take a step back and i felt i was so privileged that i could spend my pandemic and contribute to others mm-hmm. and the real privilege built on itself because by giving to others i felt the sense of purpose in the pandemic and so some people's instinct is to say no to service. And sometimes that's good because you have to look after yourself mm-hmm. first. Very true. But if you do have that privilege of being able to give back to others, maybe that's a cool thing to say yes to. I've found a lot of love yeah. and joy that way. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, gentlemen, final question. If you were to have a billboard in the sky and metaphorically speak <laughs> a message to millions of people, what would that message be for each of your billboards? What's your billboard, Chris? I don't know. I'm hanging out with Chris Gray. <laughs> you know, 
appreciate friendship, right? This is just, that's what I'm feeling right now because mm. I, I get to spend this hour with Chris Greg and you guys. I don't know. Maybe it's like we talk so much about people. Yeah. And for me, this community of friends and colleagues that I have, I guess that's my billboard at the moment. And and of course, our daughters. Oh, man. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Oh, that's I mean, on the one hand, I want to say my billboard just wants to say wants to say be nice to people. And that's Mm. what you know, and that will drive the world. If everybody was nice to everybody else, we we would we would. You have a billboard in your office. <laughs> do you? <laughs> it says, it says, I'm thinking of the one that says, do the right thing. You can finish this off. Right, right. Chief code right there. It was a comment by um, uh, Smith from, who was the coach at the NC State basketball coach. What is it? What does it say exactly? Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, do like the right that. thing because it's something along those lines. Uh, we can put it up. We can we can get you the exact quote. Mm-hmm. But it. But that that's what I want to say to people. I mean, regardless of everything else in the world, everybody working together, working, you know, being nice to other people, and that's what drives everybody to be better people. Yeah. 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 That's an amazing note to end this conversation on, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Jen, this has been wonderful and your work speaks to a lot of the fundamental aspects that are still core to, you know, to, to humans and to our development as society, because, you know, it does, it, it does start with, with education at the end of the day as we grow up. And this is something that I'm super appreciative of and to the time you've taken to come and share, share your work on this podcast. And we hope to see you again soon. Good fun. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Marcus. Great to, great to talk to you.